Hi, I'm Kim McMillan, your host for Word of the Day. I am very pleased to have as a guest Dr. Glenn Paris, the author of Dragon's Air, which will be republished by Outland Entertainment in 2021. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Excellent, excellent. So on Sunday, November 8th, you will be sitting down with Afrofuturist Samuel Delaney and Dr. Ayana Jamison, the founder of the Octavia E. Butler Legacy Network, a group of scholars, artists, activists, and fans devoted to the work of science fiction writer Octavia Butler. And I, I'm really happy to have you as a guest because Octavia Butler is really seen as one of the most important science fiction writers ever. And she received a MacArthur Fellowship um, and became one of the first science fiction writers to do so. Now, Butler's work is associated with Afrofuturism. In fact, there will be an adaptation of Butler's Dawn, helmed by uh, um, Ava DuVernay. Uh -huh. Amazon is also developing a series based on Butler's legendary, legendary um, pattern, pattern master books. Um, so, Dr. Paris, I understand that you were actually mentored by Octavia Butler. Uh, I would love to claim that. Um, I met Octavia Butler mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, was I was immediately starstruck when I met her. Oh. Um, I had read her books and I had, you know, begun, you know, fledgling attempts at writing uh, at that time. But when I read her books, you know, it's it's. You know, like a, a, an artist who draws in his notebook between classes, uh, meeting a great artist and seeing the, the details of how great that art was, the stroke, um, the shading, the things, you know, it, I, was, I was awestruck with the way she wrote. And it was so deliberate. It was so subtle. Um, it, you know, it, it really blew my mind. She she wrote with short sentences. She wrote relatively short stories, short novels. But what she conveyed in those pages was, it, it just astounded me. I'd never seen anything like it. And when I got a chance to meet her, uh, I was just, I was awestruck. Um, what I enjoyed was the fact that um, she really embraced me fairly quickly. Um, you know, she, she was quite a feminist. And, um, you know, she, um, when, we, when I first met her, I, I had my wife with her, with me. And, uh, you know, she really sort of gravitated to my wife first. You know, you know, my wife has quite a bit of a presence. But once she realized that I was the writer, you know, we began to talk. And she asked me a few hard questions that most writers get asked that I had no clue how to, how to respond to. And she realized that, you know, this poor guy, he's just floundering, he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and she, she offered me a connection. She uh, shared her phone number with me and um, she invited me to call her, um, which I did. And 
that the the opportunity that I had um, was a wonderful one because I actually got to have a conversation with Octavia Butler. And it wasn't an interview, it was a private conversation. And she uh, she she's just such an interesting conversationalist. She would ask you a question that would land like a bomb, uh, but so quietly, and you know, you you would you know, really kind of digest her questions. You know, you didn't just answer her question, you had to digest her question first, and then you had to think about it and then come up with an answer. And some answers she liked and other answers, you know, you could almost hear her uh, giving you the tsk, tsk, tsk over the phone, but she never quite did that. Um, she offered me advice. Um, she um, shared experience with me. Um, and, um, you know, she shared some, some what I consider personal and intimate um, uh, uh, parts of her life with me, um, you know, as far as her upbringing and, um, you know, her uh, family life and, and, and such. And she listened very patiently as I, you know, gushed about my, you know, my new children and my newborn son and, and that sort of thing at the time. Um, and she was, I, I wish that I had maintained a relationship with her uh, in, in essence that uh, I, I really didn't because of my own professional obligations at the time. What a gift. What I'm curious about is when did you first hear about Octavia Butler and her work? And, and from that point up to when you met her, like, was it like five years, a year? Uh, what was the span? So I heard about Octavia Butler for the very first time uh, in about 1994, 1995. And I had begun writing and I shared this with a friend, you know, that I wanted to start writing science fiction and I had an idea. And he says, yeah, that's really interesting. And he said, do you know how many African-American science fiction writers there are? And I said, you know, I imagine there aren't very many, you know, maybe 20 or 30. You know, and I, I knew that there were dozens and dozens of science fiction writers. I, I imagined that um, African-American science fiction writers represented somewhere around, you know, 10, 15 percent. And he looked at me and he says, no. There are three. Octavia Butler, Samuel L. Delaney, Samuel R. Delaney, and Steve Barnes. Wow. And my jaw just dropped. And I said, that's it? He says, yeah, that's it. And of course, at that time, there were a lot of um, African-American uh, speculative fiction writers were not included in, in um, uh, science fiction. That now, when we look at speculative fiction, you know, very clearly these, these other writers fall into that genre. But at the time, um, the only recognized science fiction writers were those. Wow, um, I don't. I don't think most people who would would realize that. That is amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not only is it amazing, but it's it's a little disheartening. What, what was the first book of Octavia Butler's that you actually read? The first one I read was Wild Seed. Oh. And yeah, so that that was the beginning of the series, uh, the Patternist series, right. which I loved. And I, I'm a slow reader. I savor each word. I don't speed read. I finished 
that book in 48 hours. Wow. I finished it in 48 hours. And this is when I was, you know, working like a demon in my early years of my practice, I was seeing, you know, 25, 30 patients a day. And, you know, I, I had two small children. I had one small child and uh, one on the way. And, you know, I still, you know, found time to pick that book up and I, just, I, I couldn't put it down. I read deep into the night and I came home the next day and I read again and, you know, I, I finished the book. And then I was looking for, okay, did you write anything else? And then I got the uh, the list of the series mm-hmm. and I picked them all out. Well, now, you, you know that Wild Seed is going to be um, produced uh, by Amazon and it's going to be co-written by the acclaimed um, uh, uh, African futurism author, Nnedi Okorafor. Oh, yes. I love her work. Yeah. Yes. So this will be very... Can you tell me what was it about Wild Seed that really captured you? Um, I think what captured me almost immediately was the fact that it took place in West Africa before colonialism. Ah. And, and, and it just struck me as such a, a pure story, yes. not influenced by anything else. And the, the, the way that the two main characters found each other. They're, they were each unique in their own way. And there was a, a tendency to dominate because they were, they were both characters were giants among the people that, that surrounded them. Um, and I, I thought it was very interesting to watch them find their way and, and make it through the book and how their relationship, their troubled relationship uh, grew. It was just a beautiful uh, story and it was it was different thematically than anything that I had seen before or read before. So by the time you actually met her, had you finished the entire series? I'd finished two of the the um, the four uh, books in that series. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and after meeting her, I I had to finish it. Uh, so by the time the, by the time I had the the telephone conversation with her, I had finished all four of the books in that series. Now, I'm curious, did you ever give her your work to critique? I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did. Um, And she was she was very kind. Well, (laughs) transparent. uh, Um, And um, I think that she did read it. And I think that she did uh, find some merit in it. But she uh, also recognized and and conveyed to me that she didn't think was ready. and by the time we had the conversation, I had agreed with her that it, it really wasn't ready. The editing wasn't done. Um, you know, there's some things that she thought I should uh, rethink and, and revisit and such. And the way she put it to me was she says, you know, for some writers, sometimes you, you need to put a manuscript in a drawer and close the drawer for six months to a year. Then take it out again and reread it, and then work it. Wow! And it was it was such a nice way of saying, Glenn. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> it it really was, and and you were very lucky. Um, I I did not realize how lucky I was. 
yeah. because I, did, I had no experience. Um, I had no uh, mentors. I had no role models when it came to, to such things. Uh, I didn't know any science fiction writers. I didn't know what their journeys were. I didn't know what the journey of a writer was in general. I, I just decided one day that, you know, I thought I could write a book. I've read, I've read um, science fiction novels. I love them. I, I thought I could write one. And you have. You have. Yeah, I, I did, but I, I really thank uh, Octavia Butler for um, helping me raise my my standards uh, of writing, and and know have a sense of what I don't know yet. Right now, now you had worked on um, you've worked you worked on uh, Dragon's Air, your Afrofuturism. Um, uh, novel for quite a while. Was it twenty five right. years? I believe twenty five years. So the the predecessor to Dragon's Air is what I showed um, Octavia Butler, ah. and uh, she she took a copy and she read it, and um, she she thought that it had some merit. You know, so she she says, "Yeah, you you've got something here," but. You know, you you could benefit from a little bit of, you know, I can't remember how she said it. She didn't say coaching, um, uh, but she essentially what she said was mentoring, but that wasn't the word she used either. And I, I just can't seem to remember exactly how she said it. But what she did do is she asked me if I knew anything about Clarion uh, Writers Workshop, and I didn't at the time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, you know... Anybody today, uh, any writer today who I mentioned that Octavia Butler uh, recommended that I look into the Clarion Writers Workshop, they would say, are you kidding? You got an invitation from Octavia Butler to go to Clarion? And I just had no idea what the value of that was. I didn't know what it was. Right. Um, but it's, it is an, an elite uh, workshop for science fiction writers. It's by invitation only. Oh. And a handful of science fiction masters, um, uh, they teach workshops in the course. And it's, um, from what I can recall, I think it was like a six-week uh, workshop at one point. You, you actually went there and you stayed for a while. And I can't remember if it was six weeks or two weeks, but whatever it was, it was more time than I, I thought I could um, uh, steal away at that time in my career. So, so but, you never went to the workshop? No, I never did get a chance to go to the workshop. Um, I, I later discovered it's like, oh my God. Yes. She, she actually, she, she was actually opening the door for you here and you just didn't go through. What what age were you at at that time? Oh gosh, um, I was thirty six at the time. Oh, you know, I wouldn't blame yourself, because yeah. although she opened the door, other doors would be open, and they are being opened right now for you. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it's almost like the old uh, Paul Masson uh, motto: uh, "We will sell no wine before it's time." <laughs> yeah. it, it it wasn't my time. It wasn't, it wasn't my time. It really wasn't. What, what do you believe her legacy is? Um, a lot of people have said that she opened the door for African-Americans in the field to get br to bring them into the field of science fiction, Afrofuturism. What, what do you think of as her legacy? Well, she was that rare um, combination of things. So she was the um, 
she was the the mater familia of of our family in in terms of science fiction. She was the the um, the writing master, wrote beautifully, and you know I, you, you can't you can compare writers, but you know in terms of this is one person's style versus another, but you can't say one is necessarily better than than uh, the other. Uh, you know I've I've read uh, Steve Barnes' work. I've read. Um, uh, Samuel uh, Samuel R. Delaney's work, and uh, you know they're they're beautifully written. They're very different from one another, um, but hers hers were, for me, they were unique in 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 terms of the simplicity of of how she wrote. You know, it, it I, to read her work, I I settled down. Right. You know, I wasn't on the edge of my seat. I settled into a chair to read her work. And I'm reading these short little sentences with a lot of simple little words, common everyday words. She didn't use a lot of big fancy words. I almost never had to go to the dictionary to read her book. But the elegance at which she expressed herself and the 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 beauty that she was able to paint with those short little sentences, um, it it you know, it, it was a it was a marvel to read, um, but but that was her skill as a writer. But she also had a unique skill as an orator when she she began to speak about things. She was philosophical, and not all writers have that gift of being able to to talk about the world intention in writing. You know, you can write something. But expressing the intention of that writing um, is is a different kind of skill, a different kind of talent, a different kind of gift. And she had it. Boy, did she have it. Yes, yes. And and that brings me to the question, why do you believe her work is being so celebrated now? Again, it's her time. Um, you know, this is something that is long, long overdue. And... Uh, it 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 speaks to the timelessness of her writing. You know, she she began writing in the '70s, and here we are now, uh, going into the ending the first quarter of the 21st century, and young people, old people, middle-aged people are just discovering her work. Yes, and and it it's not limited to the African American uh, community. You know, it's this is this is a gift to the world that she's writing, and she wrote that way. You know, when she when she wrote um, her stories, there were a lot of African American characters and African characters. Yes, but she had the she had representation of the entire human race in in her writing, which I, I really appreciated. And that, for some people, they don't quite see her as a purist. Um, Afrofuturists, um, they they talk about her writing because she uh, straddled so many different gen- genres, and the way she wrote some of her books, such as Kindred, which mm-hmm. became one of her best known, uh-huh. you have this absolute magnificent storytelling and character development. Yeah, and and yet, you know, before the word um, Afrofuturism. Uh, or at, was create was was coined by Mark Derry in 1993. People might not have 
even seen her that way. They might have just said, well, she's a science fiction writer. Right. And and that brings me to another uh, th- thought that do you believe that Afrofuturism has actually gone beyond that term? Um, that is spoken about quite a bit, that that the black speculative arts, Afrofuturism, it's just gone to a level that really has been embraced, particularly by um, African-American writers creating and changing the genre to fit their needs. Yeah, I think that um, that the, um, the perspective of uh, descendants of the African diaspora uh, have a different take on the world. Uh, we, we look at, you know, and I've said this many times, we look at the same um, the same uh, uh, problems of the world, the same needs. Uh, we watch, um, uh, you know, um, uh, issues and, and problems boil up in different parts of the world. You know, and, and when things are going, um, uh, getting hot in the Middle East, you know, we all look at Iraq and Iran and Israel and, and with the same apprehension that someone from Sweden or someone from Canada might. You know, but, um, you know, there are certain um, ramifications for, um, you know, African-Americans in the States, in Canada, in Brazil, um, and for Africans in the continent um, based on, on uh, you know, the decisions made and the outcomes of, of some of this. You know, uh, the last thing anybody wants to see is, you know, a nuclear confrontation either in the Middle East or in Central Asia or, you know, certainly in, in Europe or the United States. But the, the, the threat of those kinds of things worries people in the Caribbean, worries people in uh, Brazil, worries people in, uh, you know, Nigeria or Senegal or Gambia um, or Kenya just as much as it, it worries us here. You know, we, we look at the same things. We sit around tables and we discuss these problems and what should be done and what the worries are and, you know, who's going to be best at, at managing the problem. And, you know, American politics are, are uh, you know, just as important around a table in, on the island of Barbados, where my ancestors came from, as they are in, you know, uh, Iowa. So, you know, you, you deal with the same problems and you have the same concerns, um, but you have slightly different opinions. That's a very good point. Yeah. So when when we when we talk about Afrofuturism, you know, yeah, there's this pent up um, uh, pressure to to you know voice that opinion. But then you know, once you get beyond that, we're we're still in the um, in the mode of yeah, but you got to deal with this problem, you know. And there are a finite number of ways of dealing with that problem, and there are certain um, solutions that may favor. Uh, one group or, or one region of the world um, compared to another. But, you know, all of those things, when played out, uh, you know, result in different outcomes. And that's what speculative fiction is all about. It's about a what if, you know, you know, it's statement. And what if this happened? Then what if you had a person who had this intent? And then, you know, what, how does the world react to that? And that's the beginning of a story. And in uh, African-American or uh, Afrofuturist um, stories, that's what you, you start with. And 
if it's coming from an African or African-American, Afro-Caribbean or um, Afro-British uh, uh, writer, it is Afrofuturism by definition. Um, you know, so when when we say Afrofuturism, you know, there there's this um, identity associated with it. But I, I I'm always just a little bit cautious about being pigeonholed. You know, the you know one of the um, hallmarks of imperialism in general is is this business of defining others. You know, and, you know, this is what you are. This is what you need to, to focus on. This is all you are. Don't stray from this this road. This is what you write about. Don't write about anything else. And yeah, go ahead. Well, I was wondering, did you ever ask um, uh, Octavia Butler if she considered herself a science fiction writer or was she did she wish to explore so much more? Octavia Butler had a mind that could not be contained. She knew no boundaries. So, you know, you could talk to her about any topic. Mm -hmm. And 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 we did in that that short conversation. I, I can't tell you if it was 30 minutes or 45 minutes, but we we were on the phone for quite some time. And you know, she had thoughts about gated communities and about the reasons for those gated communities, the motivations of the people behind the gate, the motivations for the people on the streets outside looking in. Um, she, she had a lot of, of thoughts. She was a very, very deep thinker. Um, she had more ideas about the world than she ever wrote. Fascinating. Did you ever talk about the issues with the African-American and any of the difficulties perhaps in the literary world experienced by African-American authors? Believe it or not, we never got around to talking about that. Um, I think it was sort of like the 800-pound gorilla in the room. You know, um, you know, there are only three. And then, you know, here I come and I'm, you know, I'm writing and I'm, I've got this story that I'm, uh, you know, trying to, you know, launch. And, um, you know, she, she actually invited me to uh, share a podium for a panel with her and, and um, uh, another uh, science fiction writer once, uh, Samuel uh, Delaney. Um, and I declined because I, I did not feel that I had the stature to, um, to, uh, to own that third chair on the, on the stage. And I, I didn't go. Um, but I, I, I stayed to listen and I, I asked questions, um, but I, I didn't feel that I belonged on that stage. And she really urged me to go. She, she, um, she beckoned me up on the stage, you know, several times. And I, I just didn't feel that I was ready. I didn't think I could go. I, um, I believe I understand why she did that. Um, as a, a person who teaches for a living, a lot of times what we are trying to give to the students is the experience yeah. so that they have an understanding of the importance, not just of themselves, but of, of, of literature and why it affects us all. And there's a great need um, I found from educators, particularly people of the nature that you've described that, that she represents to share to give. And I think she wanted to give you that experience. I think that she wanted to do even more than that. I think that it, it really had not yet 
uh, sunk into me. It really hadn't dawned on me yet how rare it was to have an African-American science fiction writer expressing um, ideas that, um, you know, have, have the, um, you know, the signature of that African-American experience. And to, to uh, be able to share that with a third um, party on that, on that stage would have been interesting to have, you know, the, the, the fledgling next generation, perhaps, hopefully, um, uh, of writers sharing that stage with the veterans. I agree. I, I agree. I believe that probably was important to her, but I do understand why you didn't get up on the stage. Yeah. Um, what, what I'm also interested in knowing is when did you find out you wanted to be a writer? And then when did you find out you wanted to be a science fiction writer? <laughs> um, I, I think that I'm an accidental everything that I, I become. Uh, and, and it's almost never intentional. Um, I, you know, it, it seemed like destiny that I was going to be a physician, uh, and a scientist. Um, and when I announced this to my grandmother who asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, she, you know, looked at me and, you know, she had some of the same, <laughs> she had some of the same expressions on her face that Octavia had. I was talking to her. I must be very interesting to talk to. I don't know. But, um, my, my grandmother who grew up in, um, uh, uh, the in uh, Virginia um, in the um, in the twenties uh, um, in well twenties in uh, at the turn of the century the the, the uh, turn of the twentieth century um, as someone who grew up there eighteen hundreds to the um, uh, to the nineteen uh, hundred uh, turn of the century for this young black man this child to say oh I'm going to be a doctor and mean it. She just looks, she says, oh, you poor soul, you're going to be so disappointed. Do, oh. do I tell you, do I tell you now that this is impossible or do I, I, you know, let you hold on to that dream a little bit longer uh, and, and maybe it'll be less painful. And, you know, she never did, you know, see uh, my journey's um, end, um, but, you know, she, she just let me believe and I didn't think twice about it. You know, it was, you know, to me, it would seem like a foregone conclusion. This is what I'm going to do. Um, when I um, started writing, again, it was accidental. Um, I started writing because I had nothing else to do this one afternoon. And I got out a notebook and I started writing down some uh, ideas and I started spinning the ideas into what if, what if, what if, and came up with a character. And, um, you know, within a couple of weeks, I had the, uh, the middle of my story. And I had to um, finish the story, and then I had to go back and create a beginning to the story, which was um, probably my biggest challenge. Right. That's, you know what? I'm so glad that no one told you no. <laughs> I, 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 you would listen anyway, it's the problem. <laughs> very important. Um, yeah. I want people to know just how amazing your work is. And also to see you on on uh, with some major figures in the uh, field of black speculative art. So I'm I'm asking that please come to the Zoom uh, program on November eighth to hear Dr. Glenn Paris with Samuel Delaney, 
the winner of the four Nebula Awards and two Hugo Awards for Excellence in Science Fiction. You'll also be with Eugene Redman, the Poet Laureate of East St. Louis, who writes um, or who has edited the work of uh, Henry Dumas, who is very much considered by many an Afrofuturist. Uh, then the, also on the panel will be Dr. Ayana uh, Jameson, who is a founder of the Octavia E. Butler Legacy, as well as Dr. Grace Gibson, who does a lot of work with regard to feminist pop literature. And she's a scholar that explores, uh, what I love about it, she explores written comic books and Afrofuturism. So this is going to be a wonderful program on November 8th, and people, if you're in the uh, West Coast, it's at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and in the East Coast, and where you are in Georgia, at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is part two of a three-part series. The last part of the series is on December 13th, when Dr. Glenn Paris will also allow us to listen to some of his poetry taken from the characters of the books. I, I'm actually really excited about that. So I, I'm very happy about that. And I very much appreciate your coming on to Word of the Day to talk about your work and your relationship with a, just an amazing woman, Dr. Octavia Butler. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for listening, and um, it, it's a uh, golden opportunity to share um, an experience that, that so few people, I think, had. Yeah. yeah. Very. So thank you so much, Kim, for inviting me for this interview, and I look forward to the uh, November 8th uh, panel. I'm excited also. Take care. Thanks, Kim. Thank Good night. Listening to the Word of the Day with Kim McMillan.